Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Listeners, welcome back to Buried Motives. We're glad you're joining us this week. Christy's got a case for us. I do. A case that almost wasn't. <laughs> what? I almost couldn't share this case today. It was in jail for a little while and I just recently was able to bust it out. Oh, yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. A few weeks ago, I had this case all researched and half of my notes already written. Melissa and I have a cloud service that we use to store and protect our research, our notes, and our recordings. And this cloud service had a breach, and we were locked out of our account. That meant that I couldn't access my files for this case. But all is well. Everything is back up and running, and I was able to access my files and finish preparing this case for you. It just meant I had to hustle to bring you my previous case in place of this one. So hopefully it'll be worth the wait. It's always worth the wait, Christy. Oh, you're too kind. And I'm glad that this one's been broken out of jail, because I know you were excited to tell me about it. I was. So let's start today with a little self-reflection for you and our listeners. I want you to think back to grade 11 in high school. You were likely around 17 years old and had high hopes for the future. What type of things did you like to do? What was most important to you at that time? Did you enjoy school? Did you ever push back against the rules? What did you like to do with your friends? Were you involved in any clubs or sports? Did you have a part-time job? Did you enjoy spending time with your family? Could you have imagined killing your parents? No. I can't say I would imagine killing my parents, although I didn't always necessarily agree with their parenting styles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we are discussing a parasite committed by a 17-year-old boy. He was only months shy from his 18th birthday, and in a rash decision and act of rebellion, He chose to viciously murder both of his parents. Oh, that's so sad. Those spur-of-the-moment decisions and then those lifelong lasting consequences. Exactly. And this boy's reasoning for committing this vile act and his actions afterwards is sincerely dumbfounding. It's not like over video games or something crazy like that, is it? Not over video games, but just as unimaginable. So all I'm going to say is be prepared to be shocked and horrified. It speaks to that teenage brain and the development that that's going through at that time, that they don't always function with their full brain capacity. Yeah, your brain's not fully developed till you're in your early 20s. No, and there's so much pruning going on during that age that there's a lot of decision making that's questionable. That is true. But that's why I put in all those questions together, because all the questions leading up to that last one, you could reflect on and imagine and remember those things. But hopefully... Most kids at that age are not thinking about killing their parents. No. Only dirtbags like the one we're going to talk about. This case is about Tyler Joseph Hadley. Tyler was born on December 16, 1993. He was born prematurely and spent his first month of life in an incubator at the hospital. He weighed only 3 pounds, 10 ounces at his birth. Tyler's parents, and today's victims, were Mary Jo and Blake. Mary Jo DiVittorio Hadley was born on October 4, 1963, in Braddock, Pennsylvania. She was a loving elementary school teacher. She worked for the St. Lucie County District in Florida for over two decades and was working at the Village Green Environmental Studies School at the time of her death. 
Mary Jo was 30 years old when Tyler was born and was age 47 when murdered by him. Blake was born on January 11, 1957 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. According to his vehicle registration, his first given name was actually Ryan, but he went by his middle name of Blake. He was 36 when his son Tyler was born and was 54 at the time of his death. Blake worked as a plant operator engineer for Florida Power and Light Company in Port St. Lucie for three decades. And I'm going to put a little disclaimer in here that Blake's job description varied widely in different sources. So I went with the one that I found most commonly. Reportedly, as a child, Tyler often insisted on staying up late to wait for his dad to return home from a late shift. Oh, because they had a good relationship? Mm-hmm. He starts off with a good relationship with both of his parents. Six years before Tyler was born, Mary Jo and Blake welcomed their first child, also a son, to the world named Ryan. The couple raised their two boys in Port St. Lucie, Florida. They had moved there from Fort Lauderdale to be closer to Blake's parents. Their community was described as quiet, and their family was noted as a loving one who spent lots of quality time together. They enjoyed family dinners and playing in their pool together. Mary Jo and Blake were good parents who were very involved in their sons' lives. Tyler's aunt said that as a child, Tyler was constantly hugging his mom. Tyler's affectionate nature continued to grow as he got a little older. He was described as being a cute, adorable, fun kid. He was especially close to his mom. One time, he talked back to her, and it was said that it broke his own heart by doing it because he felt so bad. What? So where does all this go wrong? He sounds like such a sweet kid. Yeah, he really started off so tender and just totally in love with his parents. And was he obedient? At the beginning. Unfortunately, though, before long, and as Tyler neared puberty, he began to develop some mental health illnesses. We've covered so much mental health cases lately. We really have. It's so sad. But it's a common thread sometimes in these cases that we cover. It is. Tyler started to withdraw. He was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. As a result of these conditions, Tyler suffered from low self-esteem. His grandmother reflected that he felt like he was, quote, a step below everyone else. He would attempt to try new things like sports or playing an instrument, but then would quickly quit when he started to feel insecure about his ability to perform the hobby. So was there anything in his childhood that made him feel like less of a person? Or was he kind of like this perfectionist that never could meet up to his own standards? Yeah, the latter, I believe. There was no traumatic incident that happened in his life to cause this. It was kind of that onset of hormones and the development of the depression and anxiety that it just kind of snowballed for him. Hmm. Tyler also struggled greatly with how he viewed his appearance. He developed acne and a thyroid condition. I assume he had an underactive thyroid as he sometimes struggled with weight gain. Plus, from what I read, depression can be linked to hypothyroidism as well. He also battled with the eating disorder bulimia. Which is so sad. And a lot of people think that eating disorders are largely a female condition, but it's just not true. There are so many young males that suffer from it. It's just not well known. It's true. And it's just as devastating to their bodies. Because mm-hmm. he was gaining weight and breaking out in acne. He's depressed already, low self-esteem. He's just really struggling at this time. Eating disorders are so hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. At the tender age of 10, Tyler was on various prescriptions for a plethora of things, including depression, anxiety, his thyroid, and acne. Interestingly, he was also given a growth hormone, 
reportedly as per request of his mother. She wanted him to take the hormone to help him grow and prevent him from being bullied. And this hormone must have helped because Tyler eventually grew to be six feet tall. Wow, I'm surprised that that was prescribed. Yeah, I don't know enough about it, but she had asked for it and they prescribed it from what I found in the information. The medical fields are so different from the States to Canada that it's hard to say what would be typical down there may not be typical up here to what we're used to. Right. And what I felt about this is that's a lot of drugs for a 10-year-old to be on. Especially when his body's already in a state of flux and trying to figure things out for itself Mm -hmm. with its own hormone levels. And this does come into question later on if this cocktail of medications had anything to do with his actions later. It is interesting to consider in light of the fact of what happens next. And with how he was previous to taking all of these medications. Despite all these challenges, Tyler enjoyed hanging out with his friends. They liked to play video games and some sports. I also read that at one point, Tyler did join and attend the Boy Scouts. And you can actually see pictures of him as a kid in his uniform. His best friend, Mike Mandel, later told ABC News about Tyler's home that, quote, It just seemed like a normal, everyday kid life. So where did it all go so wrong? Well, at first, as Tyler entered adolescence, he began to rebel. Were you the rebellious type, Christy? No. Because I wasn't either. No way. (laughs) I'm still such a people pleaser. (laughs) When this first started happening, Tyler's parents just chalked it up to him being a typical teenager. It is common during that age. It can be. Anyone who's a parent or has been a teenager knows that that can be common behavior. However, it would quickly become clear that Tyler's behavior was much more concerning than just a kid being a kid. What was he getting into? In his pre and early teen years, he started getting in trouble at school. He skipped class, wrote on the walls of public bathrooms with Sharpies, vandalized people's cars and items in their yards, stole items from other people's properties, like ripping down their Christmas lights, and even began setting small fires. One of these fires was set to an old couch after soaking it in gasoline. Hmm. So lots of red flags in retrospect. Right. But I bet you at the time they weren't setting up any red flags for anybody immediately. And was he doing this by himself or was he doing it with a group of other kids? I think it was probably a combination of both. Hmm. I don't think everything he did was with other kids, but some of it had to have been. Yeah, because it seems like he had a group of friends or he got along with people. Yeah, he had a small group of friends. And that's why I said they were red flags in retrospect. They weren't at the time. Yeah, because a lot of those things that you mentioned are totally things I see groups of teenagers doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thinking it's funny to rip down someone's Christmas lights or write something nasty on a bathroom wall. Or set Christmas trees back up in their yard. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's just a funny thing to do. I'm sure they were thinking it was funny, too. (laughs) We totally did not go around and put Christmas trees that were cut down back in people's snowdrifts while we were doing Citizens on Patrol. That was not us. And I definitely do not have video and photo evidence of Melissa doing that. (laughs) That seems like a normal thing to do as a group of teenagers. I mean, Mm -hmm. not the most respectful thing, but it seems pretty typical. Yeah, maybe not dousing a couch in gasoline and setting that on fire, but some of those things... Definitely are. But I think once you're like damaging people's personal property and stealing, you're getting a little bit over that line, I think. Yeah, it's taking it to the next level. Yeah, it's not your common everybody's teenagers running around setting fires and wrecking people's properties. (laughs) (laughs) Classmates later commented that Tyler exhibited bizarre behaviors. 
he would suddenly blurt stuff out or do something like start loudly mooing like a cow. I'm not sure if he was just trying to be disruptive during class or if this was caused by some other factor, but it was just reported as bizarre. Did he have any like ticks or Tourette's or anything? No. And that's why I just think he was just trying to get attention, thinking it was funny, the classroom's all quiet, and then he just starts mooing like a cow real loud. I always find it fascinating how some teenagers would die if attention was ever brought to them and others vie for it. I lean towards maybe him just acting more like the class clown, trying to get a rise out of everybody. Hmm. Again, in retrospect, being like, oh, maybe that's why he was weird. Right. By age 12, Tyler started to numb his pain by getting drunk. At 15, he smoked marijuana. And by 16, he had moved on to much harder substances such as Xanax, Percocet, Oxycodone, Ecstasy, and DMT, which is a potent hallucinogenic drug. How is he getting his hands on all this? I don't know. I don't think it's hard for our 16-year-olds, unfortunately, to get their hands on drugs. Wow. These recreational drugs were said to not mesh well with the already growing cocktail of prescription drugs that he had been taking for years, resulting in him becoming even more unstable. It's a recipe for disaster. It really is. Was he still under a doctor's care? He was on all these things. You think they would have been doing regular blood tests and they didn't pick up on that he was taking recreational drugs either? Well, the parents were aware of his drug and alcohol abuse. Oh, okay. A direct result of Tyler's concerning behavior was him getting into trouble with the law. He had been detained for buying and selling drugs, theft, vandalism, arson, drinking under legal age, and even aggravated battery. Oh, who did he beat up? Well, the aggravated battery charge was the result of a fight he got into at a friend's house. Because he already had a juvenile record, he had to spend a week at the county jail and then underwent two weeks of house arrest under the supervision of his parents. After this incident, Tyler texted a friend. During this text exchange, he referred to himself as a pirate and said he wanted to kill himself. The friend asked why, and Tyler replied, quote, Um, because I want to die, I guess. He was clearly suffering, but didn't know how to ask for or accept offered help. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. although no one saw his future actions coming. Yeah, I think with a kid like this, I would be more concerned about them harming themselves than others. Mm-hmm. And that is how his parents felt as well. In June of 2010, Tyler took his father's car and hit a child while driving it. What? The child was injured, and the parents of the child were suing Tyler in a civil suit for $15,000. On purpose? He ran over a kid? By accident, I assume. I think he was probably speeding out for a joyride and hit this kid. And was he under the influence at the time? That I'm not sure. Huh. I guess you don't know if it was on purpose or not, but it seems like a dirtbag thing to do. Yeah, it's just showing that he's clearly out of control at this point. Out of concern, Mary Jo and Blake made their son participate in an outpatient drug treatment program. They were desperate to help their son, but sadly he refused to quit his out-of-control ways and the program was unsuccessful. They had also taken him to see a psychiatrist at some point in time, so they were trying their best to help their son. It's so unfortunate because as a parent, you want to do the best for your child. And when they don't comply and they're a teenager, how do you make them do those things? It's almost impossible to make them. But the heartache that you would go through. Yeah. And they were trying. Like, they loved their son and they were trying desperately to get him all the help that he needed. But like you said, if they're refusing, what can you do? Tyler was going to be turning 18 and starting his last year of high school. Wanting to help their son get his life on a healthier track, 
Blake and Mary Jo found an inpatient treatment program for Tyler. He would have to move to the facility to participate in this program. The couple pleaded with their son and spoke to him about cleaning up his life and taking some responsibility. The Hadleys could commit Tyler to treatment under the Baker Act, which allows parents in Florida to commit their children to an involuntary psychiatric treatment if there was a substantial likelihood that he could cause harm to themselves or to others. Mary Jo, who also suffered from depression, expressed concern that Tyler could hurt himself, but stated she wasn't worried about him hurting others. It's so sad, knowing what's coming. Yeah, that was pretty chilling when I read that. An extended family member, Mike Hadley, said about Tyler, quote, That kid wanted his freedom. He wanted to party. His parents were in the way, and he felt there was no way out. This statement suggests that Tyler wanted to murder his parents to avoid facing the consequences of his actions. That's what his family member took his motives to be. Yes. Tyler later explained to a psychologist that he had a movie in his head where he would kill his parents and then, quote, back up the car into the garage to then kill himself by carbon monoxide poisoning. Tyler said, quote, I was probably mad about getting in trouble and everything that was going on. They, meaning the murderous thoughts, started a little bit, but increased in frequency, became an obsession that I couldn't get out of my mind. Pretty intense. I thought about it every day. And when did these start? I don't have an exact time when they started, but yes, after all these things are happening, it's becoming more and more frequent for him. It's all coming to a head. And where's his older brother at this time? He's moved out. Okay. He's gone off to university, I believe, because he's six years older. That's probably what saved him. Everything we have discussed about Tyler so far leads us up to Saturday, July 16th, 2011. Tyler was 17 at this time, exactly five months before his 18th birthday. As many teenagers at that age would like to, Tyler decided that he wanted to throw a giant party that night. Just after lunch that day, Tyler posted on his Facebook page, quote, party at my crib tonight, dot, 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 maybe. The reason Tyler said maybe was assumed to be because he was actually grounded at the time, and if his parents were home, there would be no way they would allow him to throw a party. But they're not planning a trip anywhere, are they? No. Apparently, Tyler was grounded from getting busted by his parents for driving home drunk and under the influence of drugs. Rightfully frustrated, his mom took his cell phone and car away from him as additional punishment to his grounding. This is why he used Facebook instead of text to tell his friends about the possible party. He had to use a computer to post it. But those all seem like reasonable repercussions for what he did. Oh, yeah. Driving home drunk? He had to be punished for that. Yeah. Because then you're getting to this point of you could actually kill somebody. Well, I'm thinking in my head that that's punishable by law. He's getting off easy that it's only his parents grounding him and taking away some of his privileges. Absolutely. Like it could have been so much worse. Yeah. And then he's just, yeah, I'm going to throw a party. He gets fixated on, I want to throw a party. I'm becoming fixated on something with this developing personality trend with him. Right. Like he was talking about this movie playing in his mind every day about killing his parents. Some of Tyler's friends knew about his grounding at the time and questioned if he was really going to have a party. Tyler responded, quote, DK man, I'm working on it. And for those that don't know, DK means don't know. (laughs) His friend Michael later said that when he got grounded, Tyler was so mad. He said he wanted to kill his mom. Michael thought he was joking. Kids do not usually mean it when they say things like that. 
But you can see why his friend didn't take it seriously because it's common for a teenager to exaggerate and express those great big huge emotions. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to kill her. I'm so mad. Yeah. But do they actually mean they're going to kill her? Usually not. And so we can't put any blame on the friend for him thinking that he was joking. Who Mm -hmm. would have taken him seriously? Right. At 17, I wouldn't have taken him seriously. But he did have that one aggravated assault charge. He did, but he had never shown violence towards his parents, from what I could tell. Okay. It sounded more like he probably just got into a fight with a kid at a party, which, how often does that happen in high school? Especially with substance abuse going on. Mm-hmm. Just before 5 o'clock p.m., Tyler took three ecstasy pills. He said he couldn't kill his parents if he was sober. Ecstasy, which is also sometimes referred to as molly, is a drug that affects the brain's chemistry by releasing a high level of serotonin which plays a role in regulating mood, energy level, and appetite. I did a little research, and it seems like the effects of this drug can vary greatly, depending on dose, as well as many other factors, such as age, weight, previous drug use, and existing medical conditions. The effects of this stimulant drug can range from feelings of pleasure, increased energy, sociability, and confidence, to increased heart rate and blood pressure, anxiousness, panic, paranoia, and hallucinations just to name a few. The drug can be mostly felt between one and six hours after consumption, but can sometimes last for days. But he purposely took this drug to murder his parents. That was his intention in taking it. Correct. That is scary. Because he knew he wouldn't have been able to do it sober. So he's like, I got to get high to do this. And so he did. That is just so crazy to me. Mm -hmm. So he's purposely choosing to become a dirtbag. Oh, yeah. This totally proves premeditation. He's not later going to try to use the defense that he was not criminally responsible because of drug use. No, he doesn't. Okay, good. But we are going to get into it now. While her son was taking this drug to aid him in his sinister plan, Mary Jo was sitting in the family room working on her computer. Tyler entered the room without his mom realizing. He had a claw hammer in his hand. Not a hammer! A hammer, I know. I gotta stop picking cases with hammers. And this next part is so creepy. Tyler said that he stood at the entrance of the room for five minutes, deciding if he should go through with his plan or not. Five minutes. That's a lot of time to make a different choice. This is such a long time. If you think of someone unbeknownst to you standing behind you with a hammer in their hand, trying to decide if they should really take your life or not. And the whole time she just unknowingly is sitting there working away, has no idea that he's standing there making this life and death decision for her. Yeah. Oh, that's creepy. Five minutes. I can see a few seconds, but five minutes and you didn't change your mind. Five minutes and you still went through with it. Oh, that's a lot of hatred for his mom that he loved. Or was it the ecstasy that had him kind of held up there and he couldn't move forward? Well, he decided he was going to kill them before he took the ecstasy. So I think it was just this brief five minute time frame coming into play. Or this non-brief five-minute play, because five minutes is a long time. Yeah. When you're standing there with a hammer, thinking about killing your mom, it sure is. Hmm. Just prior to this, Tyler had gathered his parents' cell phones and hid them so that they wouldn't be able to call for help. (gasps) That is so sinister. It is. And it gets worse. He also took their family dog, a black lab, and locked it in a closet so it wouldn't be able to stop him. And like I said, his older brother had already moved out, so he didn't need to worry about him getting in the way. Wow, this is a thought out plan. This isn't a drug crazed, you know, 
I'm just angry at my parents for grounding me. So now I'm going to kill them. This is a thought out plan. Yeah, it's not a heat of the moment explosion. Wow. He wanted them to be defenseless. He didn't want the dog to help them and didn't want them to be able to call 911. He is truly disturbed. 100%. Tyler snuck up behind his mother and forcefully struck her with the hammer. As you can imagine, Mary Jo began screaming for her life. Blake heard his wife's cries and ran from his bedroom to see what was happening. Apparently, Blake stood there in shock for a second. I assume it took his brain a moment to process what he was actually seeing. Who would even believe it, even if you were seeing it, that your child was killing your spouse? Right? I cannot imagine that any parent would ever expect to walk into a room and see their son bludgeoning their spouse to death. Father and son locked eyes for a moment, and then Tyler didn't hesitate when he began also striking his father with the hammer. Looking at pictures of Blake, he is not a small guy by any means, so it is unreal to think about the force that it would have taken his son to subdue and ultimately kill him. Before Mary Jo died, the last thing she said to her son was why. Blake also hollered out the same question to which Tyler responded, quote, why the F not? And I wonder if this moment haunts him. I hope it does. Yeah, they were just shocked. This tells me that they had no idea that this was about to happen. The dad was stunned. They stood there looking at each other for a moment while he was trying to process what his son was doing. Wow. After brutally ending his parents' lives, Tyler drug their bodies one at a time into the master bedroom. He had an agenda, so he began cleaning up as much of the blood as he could. He's going to try and get away with it? He's going to have his party. No way. He is. Melissa's eyes are giant right now. He's going to try and have a party. He is going to have a party. Oh. That's a whole new level of dirtbag. Yeah. So he had to clean up for this said party. He later said that he was surprised how long it took to clean up. He spent three hours cleaning and still didn't do a really good job. This would have been a very bloody crime scene. And I'm always surprised when murderers say this, that they weren't expecting so much cleanup afterwards. I am sure your victims weren't expecting to die at your hands either. Like, we feel sorry for you. You spent three hours cleaning. Yeah. Boo-hoo, Tyler. You just murdered your parents. So people at the party, do they recognize? Like, do they see the blood? Because oh, I'm sure he left lots of it behind. He did leave lots behind, and we are going to get into it. Don't you worry. I got you covered. I can't imagine going to a party with dead people in the house. And the reactions later from the kids are so mixed. How are they mixed? How are they not just all horrified? Some reacted like, oh, that was so cool. Can you believe we were in a party with dead people? No way. Just being little teenage dirtbags. Others were horrified. The ones with souls? (laughs) Yeah. During his cleaning, Tyler threw a bunch of items on top of his parents' dead bodies. And this is really odd to me. When you see crime scene photos, their bedroom is completely trashed. There are pictures from the walls, furniture like chairs and a coffee table, clothing, books, and trash tossed everywhere. It honestly looks like an episode from Hoarders. Some believe that he was throwing things that reminded him of his parents into their room. But I wonder if he was just throwing stuff in there in an attempt to hide or cover the bodies. Was he trying to bury the heinous act that he had just committed? If he couldn't see them, then it didn't really happen. So he's basically taking all this stuff from the house and just piled it on top of his mom and dad. That's how he cleaned up. Yeah, during his cleanup. 
he's throwing things in there that don't have blood on it. He's just burying them essentially in items, which I'm sure there's some psychologists out there that could give us a better insight into why he was doing that. It just seemed really bizarre to me. That he's trying to hide his actions. Yeah. And it's just such a disrespectful thing to do, too. You're throwing garbage on top of your dead parents. He's so far past disrespect now, though. Right. But sometimes when someone will murder someone, you can see remorse and how they treat the bodies when you've murdered a loved one. Sometimes they're, you know, dressing them in a certain way or closing their eyes or covering them in a blanket, taking some kind of care. Surrounding them with things they love or that would bring them comfort. Yeah. Yeah. You put their family Bible beside them or flowers or whatever. This is the opposite of that. And I think that's why it's so shocking to me. When he finished cleaning, Tyler threw his cleaning supplies like Clorox wipes and bloody towels onto the bed. He shut the door and locked it. Once satisfied with his cleanup, Tyler took a shower. He said after his shower, he stared at himself in the mirror and laughed. What? Mm -hmm. So is this still all part of this ecstasy-induced psychosis? It could be. And that's why I looked into the drug a little bit. It can last a long time in your body. I just can't envision somebody laughing at their own reflection after they murder their parents. Like, I think that you would have so much remorse, like, especially looking into a mirror, you would feel that like, oh, this is who I am. Yeah, I don't know how you would face yourself, honestly. Yeah. Next, Tyler made another post on Facebook. This time it read, quote, party at my house, HMU which means hit me up or contact me. One of Tyler's friends commented the question, quote, what if your parents come home? To which Tyler eerily responded, quote, they won't. Trust me. Mm. Tyler knew that his parents would not interrupt his party because they were laying dead on their bedroom floor. They would have still been warm at this point. That's a creepy thought. Now in party mode, Tyler stole his parents' credit cards and went to the bank. There is surveillance footage of him at the ATM robbing his mom and dad. Tyler withdrew some cash and then went and bought party supplies with his murdered parents' money. What a freaking dirtbag. He later gave a friend who was of legal age money to purchase alcohol for the party. Word got out about Tyler's party and by midnight over 60 teenagers and young adults had shown up to the party. Some reports say there was actually up to 100 kids in attendance. Totally was a rager then. Uh Uh-huh. Tyler didn't know all the people there. And the party quickly got out of hand. They started to trash the house, doing things like putting their cigarettes out on walls and carpet and peeing in the yard. All these kids were having a rip-roaring time, oblivious to the fact that two dead bodies were inside the house with them. I'm surprised that nobody broke into the master bedroom to go have some alone time. Yeah, me too. They didn't. But this gives me an eerie feeling to think of music playing and people laughing and horsing around while Mary Jo and Blake laid there under piles of trash as they're destroying their home. It's always amazing to me what a group mentality can do. A couple of kids on their own would never trash a house like that. No. But you put a whole bunch of them together and ooh, they could do a lot of damage. It's true. Especially when it's not even a kid's house that you know. Right. So they're totally separated from Tyler. Yeah, there's no accountability because there's no personal connection. Right. At first, Tyler told everyone that his parents were out of town in Orlando. But then he began telling kids he met that he owned the house and lived there alone. One kid joked that Tyler must have had to kill his parents to be able to throw a party like this one. And everyone laughed because it was such an absurd idea. No way. Little did they know this kid was right. Could you imagine how he would feel afterwards? No. 
It's hard to believe that so many people could be in the house and no one saw anything suspicious. There was visible blood throughout the house, but the home was packed and most of the people at the party were drinking. Nobody saw the blood splatter because I'm envisioning a hammer attack is going to have so much cast off ceiling, walls, you know, everywhere. Well, they do see it, but murder would have been the furthest thing from their minds. So they explain it away. Some would later say that they could smell dead bodies. But I think this is highly unlikely (laughs) considering the relatively short time that the bodies were there. I'm not an expert, but I think it would take a couple of days before you would smell anything. At least a day. Mm Mm-hmm. Other kids admitted to touching or seeing a mysterious brown sticky substance on items like the computer keyboard, which they were using to play music. They assumed it was spilled Coke or beer. They had no idea that they were touching blood. Could you imagine doing the investigation in this house after? How awful it would be to collect fingerprints and trace evidence? No, it'd be everywhere. Even more disturbing than the blood on the keyboard was that while playing beer pong, the ball landed in the same mysterious brown goop. The kids just washed it off and kept playing. The ball would have then landed inside the beer cups that the kids were drinking from. They were partying in the exact spot that Mary Jo and Blake had been bludgeoned to death only hours earlier. That is unfathomable. Yeah. After going to a party like that, you would trust no one, ever. No, it might be the end of your partying days. Yeah. But you can see how they would mistake it for Coca-Cola or something brown and sticky like that. Yeah. You're not thinking that the host has murdered his parents. No, and they're trashing the house, the kids. So there was probably spilt food and drinks everywhere. And they're inebriated. Mm -hmm. However, what makes this even more outrageous is that Tyler started telling people at the party that he had killed his parents. And nobody believed him? No. One girl was talking to him about her own dad, and Tyler told her that his dad was dead. She assumed he meant he had died a while ago and even felt sorry for him. And how disturbing for her to find that out later. At one point during the party, the police showed up to the house. Tyler made a bunch of the kids hide inside his bedroom. The police told Tyler that there had been some noise complaints. He reassured the officers and they left. How do you hide 60 kids in your bedroom to convince the police that, oh, we're just having a little party here? Could they not see inside the house and know that there was a rager going on? I don't know if Tyler came outside, but whatever he did, he reassured them and they left. And once the police were gone, the party resumed. Maybe it was earlier in the night. Not as many people were there yet. I would assume so. But it's just wild to me. The police were at the door. They were at the house. And Mary Jo and Blake were laying dead inside. But in their defense, too, you're going to this party not thinking. You're thinking the parents aren't home, not that they're dead inside. But why wouldn't you follow up? Why wouldn't you want to talk to the parents? Like, why are you talking to the teenager about the noise complaint? Why wouldn't you want to talk to the owners of the house? He probably said they were out of town in Orlando, like he had told the kids at the beginning. Right. But then you clear the house out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that these officers had a lot to do and they were just responding to a noise complaint. Told them to quiet it down at least. Right. They were dealing with small fries. Yeah. In retrospect, we can say that. But honestly, you've got all these calls and things to do. Are you really going to take the time to clear out this house? Right. Tyler eventually pulled his best friend Michael outside, away from the crowd, and told him, quote, Michael, I killed my parents. Michael didn't believe his friend. He said, quote, No, you didn't, Tyler. Shut up. What are you talking about? Tyler pointed out to his friend that both of his parents' vehicles were still in the driveway. If they had gone somewhere, they would have needed a vehicle to get there. 
Still not having convinced his friend, Tyler started showing him blood evidence, like his bloody shoe print in the garage. Next, Tyler took Michael back into the house where he noticed blood near the computer desk. Tyler then let his friend look in the master bedroom. At that moment, Michael realized that Tyler was telling the truth. His friend had viciously killed his parents. Michael later said that he could see Blake's leg sticking out from under the rubble. Oh, that would be a sobering moment. Mm-hmm. Because these parents were like extra parents for Michael. They had been childhood friends. Michael was in shock and didn't leave the party right away. He stayed for about another hour to hang out with his friend. The two boys took a selfie together, which you can easily find online. Michael said he wanted to spend time with his friend because he knew it would likely be the last time that they got to see each other. Okay, and so is Tyler's actions of showing Michael and confessing to Michael, does that kind of convey a little bit of remorse or processing of what he's just done? I think he's probably coming off of the drug, coming off of his high, and I think it's starting to hit him. Mm -hmm. About staying for that hour, Michael said, quote, If you were in my shoes and that guy was your best friend, you wouldn't want to leave right away. I know how heinous and sick this is. You know what he did? I knew it was going to be the last time I ever saw him. It's actually a lot of emotions to process for a teenager. Because mm-hmm. he probably felt like he was like a brother. Mm-hmm. Michael left the party after four o'clock in the morning and promptly placed an anonymous tip with Crime Stoppers at 4.24 a.m., now on July 17th. He told Crime Stoppers that his friend had killed his mom and dad with a hammer. And I thought, good for Michael. That couldn't have been an easy thing to do, to turn in his childhood best friend. No, that was a stand-up move. And shows a lot of maturity, especially since he was at the party drinking, too. Yeah, very grateful that Michael did the right thing. Before police arrived, as the party was winding down, Tyler made another Facebook post at 4.40 a.m. that read, quote, Party at my house again, HMU. He was already ready to have another party. Was he so heartless that it didn't even faze him that he had just killed his parents? Was he trying to avoid facing what he had done? Or had he not even grasped the consequence of his actions yet? Either way, total dirtbag. And obviously he didn't think that Michael was going to turn him in. No, not at all. He has no idea that a call has already been placed at this time. I'm going to walk you through what happened after police received the call from Michael. I was able to find Tyler's arrest affidavit to bring you this information. It starts off, quote, On July 17, 2011, at 4.32 a.m., officers were dispatched to 371 Northeast, Grandeur Ave, St. Lucie, Florida, in reference to an anonymous call received through Crime Stoppers in Orlando, which was received at 4.24 a.m. The anonymous caller stated that he had information stating a 17-year-old male named Tyler Hadley had killed his parents at 5 p.m. on July 16, 2011. The anonymous caller indicated that Hadley had used a hammer to kill his parents. The caller gave the address of the crime. Police immediately dispatched and soon arrived at the Hadley home. When they arrived, they noted three vehicles were parked next to the house. One registered to Tyler, one to Blake, and one to Mary Jo. He had his own vehicle? Yeah, he was mad because his mom took his keys away. The officer approached the house and noticed a light on inside the residence. The front of the house had a large bay window, and they could see a shadow of someone walking back and forth. Next, they saw a white male, later identified as Tyler, grab an armful of books. Officers watched as he carried this pile of books to a back bedroom and then threw the stack of books into the bedroom. He did this two more times. 
What, he's still covering them with stuff? Yeah, he had obviously resumed piling items into the room on top of where his parents laid. This is just bizarre. I know. He must still be high. This is not rational behavior at all. I don't know. He's already covered them up. That's where I'm thinking, like, is it, I can't see them, it didn't really happen? Like, he's trying to bury those feelings, bury what happened. It's very odd. Mm -hmm. An officer knocked on the door, but Tyler did not answer. They waited, and after five minutes, the lights in the house turned off. (laughs) Probably because, oh, you can't see me, so I'm not here. Yeah, it made me think of his immaturity, for sure. I assume Tyler was freaking out to see police outside his house. And how juvenile that he thought he could convince them that he wasn't home. When Tyler still didn't answer after the second knock, the police called for backup to secure the perimeter. Surprisingly, Tyler eventually answered the door. He was dressed all in black, appeared nervous, frantic, and had largely dilated pupils. So he is still high. Mm -hmm. He had a blank stare, yet was described as being very talkative. His left hand was behind his back, so Officer Zamoyski drew his gun and ordered Tyler out of the house. He was checked for weapons, ordered to lay on the ground, and was then placed in handcuffs. As police entered the home, Tyler yelled at the officers, quote, You can't go in there! Don't go in there! He also basically told them to just take him to Rock Road, which was a local jail, since he knew he was going to go there anyway. So he has some understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Well, he would be coming off of the drug by now. He is a drug addict, so it's maybe not having the same effect as it would on someone who's not dependent on drugs in that way, has that kind of resilience built up against it. Right. Upon entering the home, police could see the destruction caused by the party. The house was littered with red Solo cups and beer bottles. Pots and pans were on the counter. Unraveled cigars were all over Tyler's floor. And inside his older brother's old room, all the furniture had been overturned and the floor was covered in clothes and bedding. The family dog was found inside this bedroom closet. Poor dog. When police approached the master bedroom, they noticed dried blood along the door frame and baseboards. The door was locked, so they immediately forced it open. I am sure each officer at that crime scene would have been horrified by what they saw inside that room. It appeared that every piece of furniture had been thrown inside the room from the interior part of the house. They noticed a blood-soaked towel under some furniture. An officer had to remove two dining room chairs from the doorway just to get inside. Once the chairs were removed, they could clearly see the leg of a man. It was cold to the touch. Moving more rubbish, which included a calendar, they discovered a woman's lifeless arm. Police called for medical assistance, but it would not be needed. Both victims were dead before being placed in their makeshift tomb. I'll read from the report about the discovery of Mr. and Mrs. Hadley. Quote, The victims were lying side by side. Mary Jo was lying nearest the bed with her head nearest the bedroom door. Both were laying face down and had towels wrapped around their heads. Mary Jo Hadley was wearing green capris and a white t-shirt, which had pushed halfway up her torso. Blake was wearing blue shorts, a burgundy-colored t-shirt, and blue tennis shoes. The towels, when removed from around their heads, were saturated with blood and tissue from the wounds to their heads. Once these were removed, open wounds were observed on the sides of their heads as well as the back of their heads. Both Mary Jo and Blake's shirts were raised, and I also observed several wounds to their backs. The marks were similar on each victim and were two symmetrical lines which were consistent with the claw end of a hammer. Located between the two victims, near their hips was a wooden handle. When the handle was pulled from between the victims, it was observed to be a claw hammer, 
with a head containing a waffle-type print. This tool is consistent with the marks located on each of the victim's backs. This was a violent death. This means he hit them hard enough for that little waffle print to indent into their bodies. How does a son do this to his parents? That's some force to show up through their clothing. Yeah. Yeah, that little waffle print. Oh my goodness, because that's not very deep. No. Captain Don Cryak said that the scene was a merciless killing, but that it didn't appear to be rage killings. What? Which I thought was interesting. I think that means that it wasn't, like you said earlier, a spur of the moment. They're in the middle of a fight. Things get out of hand. He's thinking that it's planned. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's what he means. Mm. It is interesting that he covered up both of his parents' heads with towels. Is that because he was feeling some remorse? I don't think so. I think it was just to help him contain all the blood. Oh, to make his cleanup easier. I think so. Because there was even tissue in those towels after they had taken them off of their heads. So I think it was just, you know, how much a head wound bleeds. I think he wrapped them in towels so that it wasn't going to drag so much blood as he took them to the room. Hmm. That's just my personal thought. Right. He does not seem remorseful at all. They're face down, just thrown in there. Covered in garbage. Yeah. Even face down. That doesn't feel remorseful to me. But face down, he wouldn't have to look at them. True. Some killers will turn their victims' faces away from the entrance where they're going in and out of. And that's a sign of remorse. Yeah. Especially when they bury them. Mm -hmm. Who knows what was going through his head? I just don't feel like he was very remorseful. Nothing else to me suggests that he was remorseful at all. No, not the way he's throwing parties and is already getting ready for the next rager. Yeah. And is still throwing garbage on top of them. Mm -hmm. Tyler's friend Michael was questioned. He told police how earlier Tyler had told him twice that he was going to kill his parents, but that he didn't believe him. He also told police that Tyler stated that he was planning to kill himself by taking 10 Percocet pills, which were found later. He had 10 of them stashed. So do you think he was actually going to go through with it? Because then I'm thinking he is feeling remorseful if he's going to kill himself after. Well, he had been talking about killing himself for a long time. But he had made that post about having another party. So if he was going to, it was postponed for a little while, mm-hmm. at least. Another friend, Marky Phillips, stated that Tyler told him he wanted to kill his parents and have a big party after. Tyler said no one had ever done that before. Almost like he was bragging at the idea of being the first to do it. Oh, that's dirtbaggish. Yeah. Again, this friend didn't take him seriously. And you can't really blame them, can you? I'm sure they had no idea and thought that their friend was just talking smack. Yeah, the whole idea seems absurd. Yeah. That's why that kid joked about it at the party. Mm-hmm. Police also discovered online messages between Tyler and two different friends. These friends were joking with Tyler about if he had killed his parents yet or not. He had obviously been bragging that he was going to kill his parents and have a party. One friend told him to do it and then said, yeah, party time. Again, I hope they had no idea that Tyler was taking their jokes seriously. You would feel so awful after the fact. Oh, yeah. Thinking that you egged somebody on to actually commit murder. Right. I would not want to be associated with this case at all. Yeah, really. A search warrant was granted for the residents as well as for Tyler's DNA, blood, and trace evidence. Tyler was arrested and taken to St. Lucie County Jail. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and held without bond. Tyler first entered a plea of not guilty, but later pleaded no contest to his charges. wonder what his brother is thinking. Oh, yeah, I cannot imagine what this did to his family. While incarcerated, Tyler's cellmate told investigators that Tyler had gained 
multiple nicknames, which included Hambo and Bam Bam, since he used a hammer to bludgeon his parents to death. He had become a bit of a celebrity among the other inmates. For what? For killing his parents with a hammer. And Tyler, being the little dirtbag bug that he is, relished in this praise. He would introduce himself to new inmates as Hammer Boy and even sign autographs. So he's seeking that attention that you saw him seek in high school. Yep. He would make reference to the popular song by MC Hammer called You Can't Touch This. What a low life. So even after the fact, when he's not high, when nothing else is going on, he is proud of the fact that he killed his parents. Yeah. He's an absolute dirtbag. Yeah. Singing Hammer Time. Like, what are you thinking, Tyler? On the flip side of this, there was the odd occasion that he was jumped and given a beating by other inmates. But from what I could tell, he was mostly celebrated, which is really sad and disturbing. Mm -hmm. We should not be celebrating people like this. Tyler was found guilty of murdering his parents. Because he was a minor at the time of the killings, he could not be sentenced to death under Florida law. Instead, in March of 2014, three years after murdering his parents, and after two weeks of discussing appropriate sentencing, Tyler was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Judge Robert R. Makemson called the crime brutal, heinous, and premeditated. He stated that Tyler was manipulative and a liar. Two years later, in April of 2016, Tyler's sentence was overturned by an appeal judge, but then in 2018, he was resentenced to life in prison. And I won't go into all the details on this, but it had to do with a judicial review mechanism that apparently wasn't properly incorporated the first time. But then all I's were dotted and all T's were crossed, so to speak. And he was again given the life in prison without parole. Tyler was incarcerated at the Okeechobee Correctional Institution, which is a state men's prison in Florida with varying degrees of security. He reportedly was not a great inmate while there. He was caught smoking marijuana and having a makeshift shiv in his possession. He also refused to participate in disciplinary hearings. During his sentencing, was there anything brought up about these kind of alluded to mental health issues? Just that he had them. But they weren't causative. No. The motive for Tyler's abhorrent crime towards his loving parents is still debated. Many of his friends blamed his drug use as the cause of his violent act and said his parents put too much pressure on him. What? Yeah, they just didn't want him to be a dirtbag. Yeah, just be a decent human being. But that's too much pressure for a dirtbag. Exactly. But that's that childhood mentality. Some honestly believe that he was just angry and truly wanted to throw a party without his parents around to hinder his plans. Tyler never said exactly why he did what he did, but he did try to tarnish his father's image with claims of abuse. His brother Ryan adamantly refuted this claim. He said they had awesome parents and that Tyler was lying. Tyler also tried to say that Blake wasn't his biological father. He was really grasping at straws. So trying to avoid the blame himself and put it on his parents. Yeah. Victim blaming. Exactly. What a dirtbag. Yeah. Because there is no good reason why he did this. I'm still thinking like, he must have been out of his mind, but everything points to he wasn't. No. He made a conscious decision to do this. He did. But even so, he did try to blame the medications that he was taking. And in addition to all these other reasons, Tyler said that he had seen the devil and that he spoke to the devil and the devil spoke to him. Oh, of course. So when all else fails, you can say the devil made me do it. Nobody was buying this though, right? No. Okay, good. Despite acting like he was a big shot murderer, 
Tyler allegedly would sometimes show signs of remorse. In a letter to his family, he said about the whole ordeal, quote, I was just living my life as a normal 17-year-old kid, and next thing I know, I'm in the middle of St. Lucie County Jail. I ruined a lot of people's lives, and I can't seem to forgive myself. I find myself crying a lot because of the guilt. Every day I beg for forgiveness, and I ask God not to send me to hell. I don't want to go there. Father Michael told me that if I just confess my sins and repent, then God will forgive me for everything. I just can't get rid of this guilt. It's swallowing me whole. I'm extremely nervous that I'm going to get a life sentence. It's making me pretty depressed. I want to say I'm really sorry for all the grief I've stirred up. I know everyone thinks I'm a psychopath and all, but I really am sorry for everything. I've been praying every day for forgiveness, for a decent plea offer. I should get one since it's my first offense. I feel extremely bad for Ryan and especially for you and my other grandparents for the grief I've caused. I feel like Ryan doesn't love me anymore, but I know he does and he's just going through a rough time. It's so hard going through this. I'm scared and I feel so alone. Having a hard time feeling any remorse for him. Well, even in that statement, it's all about him. Mm -hmm. It's not about what he's done. It's, oh, I hope I get a plea deal and I hope I don't go to hell and I hope I don't get life without parole. It's all about him. It's just his sob story. I'm just a normal 17-year-old and I found myself at the jail. No, you didn't, Tyler. You murdered your parents and ended up in jail. Making a conscious decision to murder your parents. Yes. At his sentencing hearing, Tyler offered an apology to his family. With his back towards them. He didn't even face them? No, he was too much of a coward to face them. He said, quote, I still don't understand myself and the reasons for my atrocious actions. I really don't know. Contrary to what anyone else may tell you, I'm telling you the truth. For me to try and explain would be like making excuses and there is no excuse. I'm sorry to my brother, my grandparents, the rest of my family, and my parents' friends. I'm sorry that I took them away from you. He also said, quote, Not a single day goes by that I don't think about my parents or my whole family that I've affected by this. I just want everyone to know that I am truly sorry for, you know, the acts I committed. Yeah, I'm not buying it. No, that one sounds more sincere than the first, but still, he couldn't even look at them. He couldn't face them. When the murders first happened, 23-year-old Ryan admitted that he was torn about how to deal with his younger brother. He did plan to visit his brother. He said, quote, it's what my parents would want me to do. They wouldn't want me to abandon him. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'll probably just sit there and cry. During court proceedings, Ryan testified for an entire hour. In the end, he said he wanted to see his brother get the maximum penalty possible. Tyler's cousin said that the family couldn't make sense of Tyler's violence, but did mostly side with the judge's decision regarding life without parole. His uncle, Blake's brother, said the judge, quote, made the correct decision. We're satisfied with it. We want to move on with our lives and get past all of this. It's been difficult. It took a lot of pain on us. A lot of pain and a lot of stress. We don't go one day without thinking about Blake and Mary Jo. Not a day. So many lives affected. Yeah. Despite his sentence in 2036, 25 years after he was first arrested, this case will be reviewed to make sure his sentence is still appropriate. The family dreads having to go through another sentencing hearing. They say it's like going through another funeral each time. They want finality to it. So that's coming up in 13 years. But I thought he had no chance of parole. So why is it being revisited? I think because he was a minor at the time of the sentencing, but I'm not 100% sure. Not that it's an appeal or a parole hearing, but just making sure is that sentence still appropriate. Right. 
it's unlikely that they're going to change their minds because he's been such a dirtbag inmate. Yeah, I agree. But I guess at that point, he has served a 25-year sentence. He's served a life sentence, and so they'll revisit it, and we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Tyler's friend Michael, whom he first confessed to, said that Tyler ruined his life. He felt close to Tyler's parents and family. He had grown up with them. He said about the ordeal, quote, You know, I didn't have any hesitation whatsoever for calling the cops. The worst feeling had to be realizing that his parents were gone. He also said that the immediate aftermath was brutal for him. He was labeled as the murderer's best friend. Even though he had turned them in. Oh, yeah. And helped them capture him. Yeah. But all the other kids at school, like, oh, yeah, you're that murderer's friend. And he was grieving. He would have loved Tyler's parents. He had a relationship with them. Yeah, that's sad. Since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. So that would be a great loss for him as well. I'm going to end with a few quick points to wrap things up. In 2015, the Hadley home, where the brutal double homicide had taken place, was demolished. Multiple books were written about this case, including A Thousand Fireflies, I Killed My Parents, and See How Much You Love Me. Tyler had stories written about him by ABC News, The New York Times, and Rolling Stone. His case made national news. On March 2, 2016, Tyler was interviewed by Dr. Phil. And I tried so hard to find this episode, but I wasn't able to. So listeners, if you saw this episode, you have to let us know how it was. I'm dying to see it. Yeah, it would be curious to find out what Dr. Phil had to say about him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still going to try, but I wish I could have found it before sharing the case today. Not that I take anything that I hear on Dr. Phil, you know, but at least to like hear more from Tyler. Mm -hmm. In prison, Tyler earned his GED. He said he loves reading the Harry Potter books or anything by James Patterson. He was meeting with a priest and hoped to become ordained if ever released from prison. A week after the gruesome murders, a double funeral was held for Blake and Mary Jo. Almost 1,000 people attended. The service was held at a Catholic church in St. Lucie, and then both were buried at Forest Hills Memorial Park and Mausoleum. Ironically, the day after they were killed, just hours after her body was discovered, Mary Jo was supposed to read from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians during that Sunday's Mass. The passage she was supposed to read was, quote, Love is patient. Love is kind. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Oh. And that is the story of a teenage dirtbag who let his addictions, mental illness, and utter selfishness override the perseverance of love towards his parents, the dangerous and cold-blooded murderer, Tyler Hadley. What makes this case just so heartbreaking is the betrayal. His parents loved him so much. He had everything going for him. And then he chose to do such a despicable thing. Yeah. And everything that they were doing that he took as a negative thing was out of love. They were wanting to get him help, wanting to get his life on track. They were there to help him in any way possible. And he just couldn't see it that way. Nope. It's just so heartless. Yeah. Heartless is a good way to describe him. But listeners, we hope you spread the love until we're back again with you next week with another dirtbag case. Until then, see ya. Bye. And you gotta go first, sleepy girl. 
I'm power napping, Christy. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> you don't got 20 minutes to spare, girlfriend. <laughs> chop, chop. All right. We're good now? Mm-hmm. Sweet, let me clean up my mouth. Okay. We're not good now. She said we we're good, and then she's... We're not good now. Okay, now we're good. <clears throat> hey, li- Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listeners. Sorry, I'm laughing still. Okay, let me swallow. We can't even get through hey, <laughs> listeners today. We're already laughing. Now I feel like I have to swallow. Yeah, I know, oh. but I didn't spend 11 years in high oh school. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I spent 11 years in school. Okay, let me rephrase that, Miss Semantics. Smarty pants semantics. Like, what the heck? My 11th year. You knew what I meant. Okay, but I'll change it. Okay, it's going to be a long day. The couple raised their two boars. Boars? Little boars? Here, Wild piggy, boars. Piggy, piggy. Feeding teenagers sometimes feels like they're boars. It's true. <laughs> Cleaning up after them can as well. That's so true. Which is, and this is, and of course, to do all that, I have to stick my tongue out just right. <laughs> So I can maneuver. Gives you the best level of concentration. Yeah. <laughs> Scientifically proven. Actually, I don't know that. But <laughs> <laughs> Fact check. <laughs> but he purposely took the actus. But he purposely took the actus. Sorry. <laughs> like you look like a Disney villain. You were like. <laughs> I'm going to dislocate my jaw because I'm yawning so big. It was like yawn hurting. I hate it. I hate it. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.